Radical grace. Radical grace. What is it? What is it? Without it, we have no hope. No hope. Because without grace, we have no way to cope with no the cope. pains of this world. Let's confess, we are a mess, so we just admit it. Grace matters. Grace matters. Radical grace is unconditional, unexpected, unlimited, excessive, extravagant, and scandalously unfair, giving us, all of us, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Radical grace saves us, saves the world. What is it? A gift? A blessing? Free, but not without cost. Radical grace says, no, it screams, there's nothing you could do that could get me to hate you. There's nothing you could say that would make me turn my love away from you. Radical grace reaches the poor, the broken, the wounded, the weary, the needy, the least of these. Over and over and over again because radical grace is boundless and timeless. Yeah, we all sin and sin and sin again and again and again. But take heart, our God is with us and he would never leave us apart. And as he counts every hair on your head and wipes every tear from your face, you can finally feel it. Radical Grace. Oh, good morning, church. Good morning. We come to the conclusion of a really great series, a series called Radical Grace. And God's been teaching us more and more about His grace and how we're called to live in that grace. Now, we've talked about this, that grace is God's unmerited favor, right? A great acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And the challenge that we all have with grace is this, we don't deserve it, number one, and two, we can't earn it. And so we struggle with how do we live in this grace, and yet God has lavished His grace on us. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, right? Where it says, but because of His love, our God who is rich in mercy, our God who is rich in mercy, isn't that awesome? He met us when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, and He made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And for all of us to understand that God's grace is what separates Christianity from every major world religion, right? Every major world religion is man trying to get to God. If I can be good enough, if I can do enough right things, and then maybe God will, you know, see me in my need, and then God will say, hey, you deserve heaven, and, and somehow karma will happen or will be reincarnated. But Christianity is God coming to us. In the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our despair, God comes to us in His grace. Isn't that awesome? But because of His love for us. I love that kind of God. You know, I do. I just get so excited about Him. Uh, you know, as you, many of you know, I'm the dad of three little girls. I love my girls. They're amazing and they're beautiful and they're wonderful. And as their dad, I, my goal is to tell them that I love them every day of their life. I just do. I want to tell them I love them every single day because I want them to know. And there they are right there. Grace is the oldest, then Mabry and Kate. And that was for the daddy-daughter ball here at Rolling Hills. But, you know, they're just, they're just so wonderful. And I want them to know that I love them because I don't want them later on in life trying to find love in some other guy because they didn't get it at home. And so I want to make sure that they know I love them. So I do, I do. So every day I tell them I love them. And if you're a parent, you kind of know how this goes, right? Or if you're a grandparent, Right, you say to your kid, I love you, and they say, I love you, and then you say, I love you more, and they say, I love you most of all, right? And then you say, well, I love you to the moon and back, and they say, I love you to the moon and back a thousand times, and then somewhere infinity comes in, right? You know, and infinity's kind of the trump card. Once you get to infinity, you're like, yeah, I'm out, you know, because nothing else. If you had infinity, you got me right there. Well, the other day, I was walking to the living room, Mabry, our eight-year-old's on the couch, and I walk by, and just instinctively, I say, hey, Mabry, I love you. And she says, I love you, Daddy. You know, and I said, I love you more. And she says, I know. I know. Wait a minute, come back here. You know, what do you mean, you know? You know, she's like, no, I know. And I'm like, 
how do you, I stopped. I'm like, how do you know that? She goes, well, my sisters haven't figured it out yet, but I know. And I'm like, okay, you know? And she goes, no, daddy, I know. I know you love me more. And she goes, you know what, daddy? That's enough for me. It just the way she said it is like, yeah, that's enough for me. I was like, wow, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. You know, it's enough for her that her daddy's going to protect her, that her daddy's going to provide for her, that her daddy loves her. And so often I think that's what God wants for us. You see, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God loves you. And God loves me. And his grace is that demonstration to say, I love you more. <laughs> I really, really do. And when we get to the point in our spiritual walk where we're saying, I don't have to earn that. I receive that and I live in the grace of God. And I live because my God does love me. And that is so freeing, right? We come alive. And there comes a point in every one of our walks, every person who's ever lived, there comes a point that you are confronted with that kind of love and you're confronted with that kind of grace. And how do you respond? Do you receive the grace of God, or do you go on, no, 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 I gotta earn it, I gotta earn it, I gotta earn it. See, grace, grace is always opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, but it's always opposed to earning. There comes a time we receive that grace, we live in that grace, and today we're gonna talk about this, that we have the incredible privilege, I love this, to share God's grace with others, that we become a conduit through which God's grace flows, and that God wants to use us in our day, in our time, in our generation for his name and for his glory. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Ephesians. New Testament, oh, this is such a great series. New Testament, right? Ephesians chapter four. You can open with me there. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. And you got Acts and Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, Ephesians. So kind of midway through the New Testament. And we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four as we unpack the word of God today. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online. We'll also put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But pick up here, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. It says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, the Apostle Paul says as a prisoner, so the Apostle Paul is writing this. He's in prison in Rome. It's around 62, 63 AD, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. It's a church that he loves. He's poured in. He's invested. He's spent time there. It's just a church that's on fire. It's so exciting. It's growing. It's dynamic. It reminds me of what God's doing here at Rolling Hills, and he just loves this church, and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, you know, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You have received grace. Live a life worthy of that calling. He says, hey, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so basically what he's saying is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in this together, right? We're all in need. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. But by God's grace, by God's grace, we can stand before him. He says, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace, love that, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who, who, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What's he saying? He's saying Christ has dominion, right? That Christ 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords over all, came to the earth, lived 33 sinless years, and he conquered death. He conquered death. He made a way for you and me. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He has conquered all. It says, verse 11, it was he, that's Christ, Christ who gave us his grace. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, is anybody here, has anybody here attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Anybody there yet? No, all right, so we still have work to do. We still have to grow in the grace of God. God is still working among us and God is doing an incredible work here. And he wants us to grow deeper in the faith and he wants to grow deeper in the grace that he has given us. And grace, grace is what it comes down to. David Siemens, uh, he was a, a counselor and for so many years counseled thousands and thousands of people. And at the end of his career, he summed, up, he summed up his entire career with this. He said, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. One, the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And two, the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not how we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. So how do we allow the gospel of grace to penetrate us? How do we understand what God has done for us and then have the freedom to live in all of our relationships as people of grace? Well, number one, I think, is this, is that we share God's grace with others. We share God's grace with others. As he said, so many people struggle with receiving that grace, saying God really does love me, and it's true, God loves you. In fact, God likes you. He really does. God knows your name. But also then that we are people who extend that grace to others. It doesn't just stop here. It, it flows through us, and something happens when we live that out in our lives, and we live that out in three ways. Number one is this, we love others. We love others. Look what he says in verse two, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in what? Love, in love. Now God's love is different than our love, right? Our love is conditional. Our love is contractual. You do this, I'll love you. You act the way I want you to, I'll love you. You know, you make me feel good, I'll love you. God's love is unconditional. And God has called you and me to be people who extend his grace and his love in an unconditional way. To love people unconditionally. But do we do that? You know, there'll be a lot of times that people will come in and married couples will say, hey, Pastor Jeff, we just need to meet. Can we get together and talk to you? We're going through a rough part. And, and I'll say, yeah, yeah. So they'll come into the office. And, and a lot of times this is how the conversation goes. They'll say, you know, we're really struggling because we fight a lot in our marriage. And we don't think that's healthy in front of our kids. And so we, the only other thing we could think about is probably we need to get a divorce. And you're sitting there listening to this and you're like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we fight for our kids and we love our kids, but you know, we just don't you know, we know what else to do. And you're like, okay, so you love your kids, right? How much do you love your kids? They're like, oh man, we love our kids. We'd lay down our lives for our kids. And you'd lay down your life for your kid. Yeah, I mean, we would take a bullet for our kids. We love our kids that much. Okay, well, maybe there's a third option. 
What if you, instead of just looking at two options and saying, hey, we fight all the time, we don't think that's healthy for our kids, but we love our kids, and over here, then maybe we'll go to a divorce. What if there is a third option that we love our kids so much that we're gonna love each other that way? That we're gonna love each other unconditionally. We're gonna love each other the way Christ loves the church, Ephesians chapter five. Don't you think that would be better for your kids? That if you loved each other that way, not that your marriage is gonna be perfect, not that you're not gonna have any problems, but that you unconditionally love each other that way. Now, I know sometimes it doesn't work out. I know sometimes there's problems, there's challenges, but listen, I wanna know this, and I wanna tell you this, that there's no marriage that's perfect. But I tell you, there's people here who've been married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and I'm so thankful because they've walked through some hard times and some difficult times, and they've held on to each other, and in the midst of that, they've said, I've gotta love my spouse unconditionally. And isn't that what God calls us to? And it's not easy. But it's the calling of God to receive that grace and to extend that grace at home and to love your spouse and to love your children and to love the people around you with the grace of God. And then it extends into your workplace and to love the people at work that nobody else wants to love, right? They're over there talking about this person. You're saying, you know what? I'm not gonna talk about them. I'm just gonna love them. Do you even love radical extremists? I'm gonna love because God loved me. And in the midst of my hurt and my pain and my brokenness, there was a God who met me. And he calls me to love. The second part is sharing. That grace is giving, right? The, the fact is this, you can give without loving. People do it all the time. You're at the grocery store, they say, hey, you wanna give a dollar? Yeah, yeah, I'll give a dollar, whatever, you know, and you kind of move on. But you cannot love without giving. When you love somebody, you wanna give. And, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that you and I, what flows through us then is giving. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, the apostle Paul was writing and, and, and he told the people, guys, get this. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, in this grace of giving. I think those words, you know, generosity and grace, they, they just all go together. You know, people like that, I mean, there's just something different about them. They're, they want to give. They want, you mean they love, you just, it just flows out of you. You become a person who's generous. You become a person who's kind. You become a person who says, there's a need, I'm going to meet it. And God's grace just flows through you. I think about the Good Samaritan, right? And he's on his way and he sees this guy and he picks him up and he bandages his wounds. He goes to the innkeeper, here, here take, pay whatever I need to. I'm going to take care of this guy. There's just something different. When we live out that grace, and the third part of sharing grace with others I think is so powerful is this, is forgiving others. Forgiving others. Last week we talked about living in the grace of God and we, we talked about this call to forgive yourself. In church, it's so, so freeing. We had an incredible small group on Monday nights. We just talked about that. And, and the fact is that so many times when we receive the grace of God, we understand this, that God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sins no more. But we remember those sins, don't we? And every time we start to serve God or get involved, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. You remember what you did? And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just harbor that in our lives. And at some point, you got to forgive yourself. At some point, you got to move forward as the Apostle Paul did, you know, because he killed Christians. I mean, you know, and he moved forward. But then in your life, too, as you share the grace of God, you learn to forgive others. And I've seen people so often, man, they're held in bondage because they won't forgive. They won't forgive somebody else. 
And that person may not even remember what they did to you, but you remember it, right? And you're living in this bondage because they did this or they said this. The person may even have passed on. You're still living and not willing to forgive. And you know what happens is that person still has control over us, don't they? They have control over us because we're not willing to say, okay, God, I forgive. I forgive. Now, I know it's hard. I mean, it is. It's one of the hardest things. But as believers, as followers of God, just as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? Is there anybody in your life that you just need to say, you know what, I've got to let this go. I've got to offer grace. I've got to extend grace. One of my favorite um, authors is a woman named Corey Tinboom. Uh, you may have heard her story, but just an amazing woman of God. And she tells, she tells this. She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the doors at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with the harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail frame ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you are. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that you say all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. I mean, how can you remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time I went on, I've become a Christian I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. (laughs) I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, could not forgive. 
Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the war had ended, I had in my home in Holland a place for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Wow. This call to extend grace, this call to forgive, this call to love. And God calls every one of us to do that. But how, we wonder, I mean, how? I mean, the hurt and the pain that we've been through and the brokenness that we've endured, how? And that's point number two. You have to draw on the unlimited reservoir of God's grace. You have to draw on the unlimited reservoir of God's grace. There, there comes a point in your life when you realize, God, I can't. I can't do it. And God says, you're right, you can't. But I can. I can. And we have to allow God to flow in us and flow through us. That's why it says in verse seven right here, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given. That Jesus came from heaven, that he came to this earth, that he conquered our greatest enemy, death. He gave us the courage. He gave us the will to live. He gave us grace. And he says, you extend that grace. That's why the apostle Paul would say over and over again, not me, but Christ in me. I labor, not me laboring, but Christ laboring through me, Christ working in me. In those times that are so hard and they're so difficult, we just gotta get on our knees and pray and say, God, help. God, love my family. God, love my community. God, love through me. God, forgive through me. God, be generous through me. God, I am completely yours. You see, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there ought to be no human explanation for our lives. Our lives ought to look different than the world. People ought to say, what is different about them? And you go, it's just the grace of God. I'm not perfect. I struggle. I mess up. I sin. But it is the grace of God by which I live. And not me, but Christ in me. Christ in me. We can't live this life on our own, and we're not called to live this life on our own. We're called to live Christ day in and day out. 
And here's the incredible truth. Number three is this. The, we realize the power of God's grace to transform us. We realize the power of God's grace to transform us, to transform lives for his glory. That's what God specializes in. God is the master of grace. And that's why it says, right, in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles and prophets and teachers. Everybody here has a spiritual gift. When you receive the Holy Spirit in your life, God gives you a spiritual gift. And God gives you those spiritual gifts. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That you and I exercising the grace of God within the body makes the body stronger and deeper and richer. That you and I extending love to one another grows other people because we are transformed by the grace of God. And God says, you have a plan and a purpose in this world to live out my grace. You think about how the world has been forever changed by believers. It was Christians who started hospitals and hospice. It was Christians who started orphanages. It was Christians that started any ministry to come along and to say, I want to extend the grace of God and how our world has been forever changed. And now it's our turn. It's us to live out the grace of God at home, in our community, and in our world for his name and for his glory. You know, the Apostle Paul was released from prison 63 AD from prison in Rome. And the Apostle Paul knows his time on this earth is short. He, he knows it, right? They told him, you don't go teach about Jesus. If you do, you're going to be taken back into prison. You'll be killed. And the Apostle Paul's like, well, what else am I going to say? I mean, it's the grace of God, you know. And, and God used this man to transform the world in so many ways about Christ. But when Paul's released from prison, he goes and he's on a ship. He's telling people about Jesus. And he's sailing by and he's really close to Ephesus, the the people to whom he was writing this letter. And in Acts chapter 20, this beautiful holy moment unfolds as Paul is sailing by. And from Miletus in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. He's like, guys, come meet me on the beach. Come here, come here, I'm sailing by. And I know I don't have much time left. Come here, come meet me. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I just think Paul's going, I lived a life worthy of the calling I received. I wasn't perfect, but I lived it. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing. <laughs> if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You know what your task in life is? to testify to the gospel of God's grace. You know why when you receive the grace of God, God doesn't just take you home to heaven. God has a plan or a purpose for you here on this earth. It's to testify to the gospel of God's grace. In verse 32, Paul says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then verse 36, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept and embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. 
As a pastor, there's a lot of times I, I stand with people in that, those last few moments of their life. And whether they're in hospice or whether they're in the hospital or whether they're at home and they just know the end has come. And you, you know what people want? People always ask, they say, Pastor Jeff, can you bring me my Bible? Can you, can you read some scripture? They, they say, Pastor Jeff, can you, can you call my family? <laughs> just like the Apostle Paul, right? Can, can you call the people that I love? Can, can you have them here? Can I be surrounded with, with my family, with my kids or grandkids? Can, can they be here? And then Pastor Jeff, did, did I live it well? Did I live my life well? Did I make a difference? Did I love people well? Was I generous? Did I extend the grace of God? See, at the end of the life, that, that's what you want to know. Did, did I make a difference? Did I live it? And while we have the time, we're not even promised tomorrow, but while we have the time, God says, live the grace. <laughs> live it. Live it. One of my favorite plays of all time is Les Mis. I know many of you have probably seen it, you know, or read the novel. It was written by Victor Hugo and just amazing. The story is set in the late 1800s and the main character, the protagonist, is a guy named Jean Valjean. And the story opens with Jean Valjean being in prison. He stole bread in order to feed his sister's seven kids, right? And five years in prison turns into 19 years in prison. And finally, when he's released, he's angry, he's bitter, he's resentful. And he's out and he's living on the streets. And a bishop, a priest, a Christian man sees him and he, he takes him into his home. And one night, Jean Valjean sees all the silverware and thinks, that's worth a lot of money. And in the middle of the night, he takes the silverware and he steals it and he heads out of the house. But he's caught by the police. And the police bring Jean Valjean back to the house, to the bishop's house. And Jean Valjean knows, I'm done for, right? I mean, I'm a repeat offender. I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. And they knock on the door and the bishop, the Christian man, opens the door and he immediately recognizes what's going on. He sees the police, he sees Jean Valjean, he sees the silverware in his hand and he responds like this. Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. You forgot the silver candlesticks that I gave you. You have the silverware, but let me give you the candlesticks too. And flabbergasted, he just can't believe it. And the police realize it was a gift, and so they walk away. And Jean Valjean is confronted with this incredible act of grace. And this one incredible act of grace transforms Jean Valjean's life. He goes on to become the mayor of the city. He goes on to be this man who's generous and kind and makes a difference in the lives of so many people because of one act of grace. And the fact of the matter, church, is this, that we've all been confronted with one incredible act of grace. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, when we were in rebellion against God, God came to us and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who died on a cross, the most painful way to die. He died on a cross for your sins and for mine. That's grace. And there comes a point in every one of our lives when we have to give an answer for what we will do with Jesus. Does he become the Lord of our lives? Do we receive the gift that only God can give? And then do we live out the grace of God?
And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he brought his disciples together and he goes, guys, I don't want you to miss this. You've got to get this because this is what it all boils down to. And he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This is my body broken for you, for you, personal. This is grace being extended to you. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant. <laughs> you were under the old covenant, right? You were under the law. You are under ritual. You are under religion. You know what? There's a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. Take and drink. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate the greatest act of grace that was ever done. In just a moment, you'll be invited to come to the table to receive, to celebrate. I'm gonna invite some of our leaders here at church, if they're gonna go to be at the table and our worship team to come. There's tables that are all around you. There's two tables in the back. There's tables on the side. There's a gluten-free table over here. But in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come and to take a piece of the bread and to think about that. Christ's body broken for you. To dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you. And to receive the gift that only God can give. When you come to the table this morning, get this, get this. When you come to the table this morning, I want you to think about in your heart, Am I living in grace in my marriage? Am I living in grace at work? Am I living in grace with my family? Is there anybody I need to forgive? Is there any way that I need to go and talk, have a conversation? Am I extending God's grace? When you come today, we're gonna to do something just a little bit different, and it's so powerful. When you come to the table today, and you take a piece of the bread, and you dip into the cup, and you receive, and you think about what God's done for you, and receive God's grace, and remember, this isn't my invitation, the invitation of Rolling Hills, this is the invitation of God himself. If you're a Christ follower, you're invited to come. But instead of just returning to your seat, I wanna ask you to pick up the plate and turn to the person behind you, and to share the grace. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything at all. You just hold the plate. And it may be your spouse. It may be your child. It may be somebody in your small group. It may be somebody you don't even know. But just hold the plate. And allow them to take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for them, and to dip into the cup his blood poured out for them and to receive the same grace you've received. And while they're doing that, you hold the plate and, and just internally, you don't have to say anything, just internally, just say a prayer for them. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but just say a prayer for them that God would bless them. And then after they take communion, they'll take the plate from you and they'll hold the plate and serve the person behind. An incredible demonstration of us receiving grace and us extending grace. So Father, here we are. Your disciples today, God, people, all of us in need of grace. And we come today, God, with a grateful heart that, God, when our total depravity, when we were broken, in our pain and our hurt and our loss, God, you came to us. And so today we just say thank you. 
And that today, God, we also understand the responsibility and the calling to be people of grace. We come to your table this morning, God. We come to receive and we come to give. May we feel your presence with us. May we understand the depth of your love. That there's a God who says, I love you more. (laughs) More than you can ever dream or ever imagine. I love you. And it's in the name of your love, Jesus, and in your grace, God, that we come to your table right now. You're invited to come to his table.
and portion as long as life endures. Praise God for his grace. Can we just, let's do, just do the first verse. Let's just go back. Let's just do that.
Praise God for His grace, church. Praise God for His grace. I was once lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. There's a God of grace who loves you more than you could dream or more than you can imagine. And a God of grace who has invited us to know Him intimately and personally. There's a God who loves you. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you wherever you are in life. Just know this, you're not alone. No, you're not alone. There's a God who loves you. And there's a church that wants to walk through life with you. This time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to give. And before we do that, just let me pray for us right now. Father, thank you. Wow, what a morning, God. God, we sent your presence right here with us, among us, Father. God, we thank you for your grace and this call to live out your grace, Father, to be conduits of your grace, Father, in our world. And it's a world in need. <laughs> and so I pray, Father, that you would fill us and send us, that your grace would be so real to us every day and every moment, that we've been redeemed, we've been restored. And now, Father, let us speak hope and truth and love and grace to everyone around us. Thanks for a chance to give. Take what is given and multiply it and use it for your name and your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks so much. Wow. Great job, worship team. When I first started attending Rolling Hills back in 2007, I was blown away by the impact our church was having, not only here in our community, but around the world. And to see what God has done over these past several years has been such a joy. To know that you have collectively stood in the gap for the least and the last around this world. To know that you have helped launch new community ministry initiatives and have been a part of some amazing outreach here in Franklin and Nashville. To know that you have been the church is such a blessing. But one thing we know is that the church is not this building, it is you. And so in lieu of our traditional worship gathering on Sunday, May the 24th, we're gonna leave this building and go out and make a difference in our community. It's so exciting to think that on that day, you will use your time and your talents to make a difference with local organizations. And we hope that you are making a plan to attend The Church Has Left the Building on Sunday, May the 24th. There are two things we need for you to do beforehand. The first is to pray for the day. And second, go online to rollinghillscommunity.org slash gone and sign up. Be sure to include everyone in your family. The week before the event, you'll receive an email that includes specifics about your ministry site. At 9.30 on Sunday, May 24th, we'll have a rally at each campus where you'll be able to meet your ministry leader and the rest of your team before you head out to serve. You'll be at your site for about two hours and should be finished around 12.30. Not only are we going to go on this day, but we're also going to give. We need you to share your shelf. We're so blessed to have GraceWorks Ministries, the number one provider of assistance in Williamson County, less than five minutes from our Franklin campus. Summer is a difficult time for them with donations, and so we want to bless them with just over two tons of critically needed food pantry items. Church, we are so excited about Sunday, May the 24th, as we go out to make a difference in our community. As you leave this morning, we hope that you will take a moment to sign yourself and your family up as we prepare for Sunday, May the 24th, where the church has left the building. Church, that's always one of my favorite days of the year is when we have the opportunity to go serve. So May 24th, if you want to sign up out in the gallery, go ahead and sign up. We'll have t-shirts that day. 
It'll be amazing. You can go online and sign up as well. A great opportunity for us to serve, you know, serve our community just as we serve this morning, as we serve one another. And that's the call to extend grace. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm just so glad for what God's doing. I'm so glad I'm here, you know, just what, that we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, that we get to be a part of what God's doing in our lives and just seeing the grace that flows. So thank you. And just God be the glory, right? As we live every day, to God be the glory. Mr. Billy, so glad you're here. Thanks so much. Let's stand together, let's pray, and let's go to live out his word and his grace. Father, we love you. Oh, God, we love you. Father, thank you for meeting us in our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and redeeming our lives, restoring us and sending us out new because of your grace. And to you be all the glory, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we go to live out your word. Amen, amen. Blessings on you today. We're so grateful. Amen.